and they will take you out. For the rest of you, let's study the Bible together. Would you open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5? Matthew chapter 5, as we continue on in our series, going through the Gospel of Matthew. So we are at Matthew chapter 5, and we are going to be reading verses 13 to 16 this morning. So that's Matthew chapter 5, 13 to 16. If you don't have a Bible, as always, I would encourage you to pick one up so you can follow along with us as we unpack this passage. So here it is. Uh, You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Let's pray and ask for God's blessing on our time. Uh, Father, as we uh, consider your word today, as we consider your revelation to us, uh, we pray, God, that you would help us to see uh, your truth that you would help us to see how applicable it is for us. We pray specifically as we consider this mission, this calling to be salt, to be light, that God, we would be something that we don't take lightly, that it would be something that we uh, shrug off as for the next person, but that, Lord, we would look at it as something that you have uniquely equipped each and every one of us who follow Jesus to live out in our daily lives. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Matt Benedetto. Matt Benedetto, he's an entrepreneur, he's an inventor, and he is the owner of Instagram account Unnecessary Inventions. Unnecessary Inventions. And in his own tagline, in his own words, he is dedicated to solving the world's problems that don't exist. He's settling, he's solving the world's problems that don't exist. And his his inventions are exactly what the title sounds. They're unnecessary. They're useless. They're worthless. Some examples are he invented the snout snuggie. It is like earmuffs, but for your nose. So imagine a, a bandage, like wrap around, like, And right there, you kind of look like a clown or an animal or whatever, but it keeps your nose warm. So he made the snout snuggie. He made puppy thumbs. What are puppy thumbs, Joe? They are what they sound. You would put it on your dog near the Paul area, and it would give your dog, it would appear to have opposable thumbs. So, because we always talk about animals not having opposable thumbs. Well, in this particular instance, it would look like your dog had opposable thumbs. And then the last thing that stood out for me was he has the sun shader. It is literal shades to put on your sunglasses like you would put shades on the windows of your house. Now, it would not allow you to see anything, but if the sun is too bright with the sun shades, it would keep the sun out from your sunglasses. So let's be honest. His inventions are useless, though comical. They serve no purpose. They're unnecessary what in the world? Well, is God like Matt Benedetto? Are you and I, his creation, unnecessary, useless, 
Because that's what we're really going to look at and consider today. And the truth is we're, we're not by any means. God has a very clear mission. God has a very clear purpose in his creation as I look out at each and every one of us. Today's passage is going to highlight these purposes for our lives as we see Jesus illustrate our mission through two metaphors drawn from real life living. Uh, First of all, we're going to see that we are the salt of the earth. That's metaphor number one. And we're going to see how God uh, communicates this truth to them, something that would have been a very common uh, product used by the first century. He's going to equate that to how you and I live our lives. So the salt of the earth. And then secondly, the light of the world, the metaphor number two. So that's something that you and I, once again, we can relate to with light. But you got to remember too, first century, this is pre-electricity. So this light is often a, a, a candle, some kind of a fire uh, that is being used as a lamp. And we're going to see how you and I are the light of the world. So let's get started at verse 13 as we see metaphor number one, that we're the salt of the earth. Now, if you remember last week, we unpacked the Beatitudes in a relatively quick manner. Like we said, we'd really like to go back down the road and individually go through each one. But kind of the big picture we saw in the Beatitudes is this is how we are to look at life through the eyes of who? Through the eyes of God. It's an upside down way of seeing and thinking of life, but it's what God's design is, that you and I, we don't look like the world, we don't think like the world, we don't act like the world, we know we act like Christ. And at the end of that passage, if you remember, it was tied to persecution. Blessed are those who are persecuted, who are reviled on account of me. And we saw that even in the midst of that, it's a blessing because it's part of the cost of following Christ. As we look at the salt of the earth, I think there's three elements to the salt that we need to consider uh, this morning. One, we need to be salt that is functioning. We need to be salt that is functioning. Listen to what it says. You are the salt of the earth. You are the salt of the earth. So once again, this is something real life for the first century. Something that they can relate with. Everybody reading this, hearing this, would have known about salt, like it's a common ingredient used in life. Now, what, one of the elements that we know, though, about products is products can have multiple uses. Not the ridiculous inventions we just talked about, but like real products, like baking soda. Baking soda can be used in so many different ways. Laundry, odor, cleaning, brushing your teeth, baking. I mean, there's, there's a lot of ways you can use baking soda. Well, there are a lot of ways in the first century that you could use salt. And I guarantee if you've heard a sermon on this passage, I guarantee you've heard these two uses of salt. Salt number one use would be flavor and seasoning. And it's true. Salt would have been used to flavor foods just like you and I use it. Now we live in 2023 and there's worried of of MSG and all this other stuff. So we have salt substitutes. But the point is salt, it, it makes things taste better. So we would take this passage, and there is probably a sense and a truth to this, that you and I, being in society, being in this world, being in the culture, we make it taste better. 
We do. It's, there's, a, there's a blessing. There's a benefit of people who are being led by the Holy Spirit, who are followers of Christ. We are a blessing to society. So there's definitely a possibility that Jesus is alluding to this. Second way that you probably have heard this passage preached before, and there's truth to this as well, salt would have been used as a preservative to, to preserve specifically meat. So once again, pre-electricity, they don't have refrigerators like you and I. So one of the ways that they would prolong meat usage is they would layer it in salt and it would help slow down the decay process. And the argument then is, if you and I are the salt of the earth in that regard, we're kind of, we slow down the decay process of the world. That we help preserve it, we help kind of keep it from, from rotting and stinking. And, and there's probably some truth to that as Christians living in an unbelieving world. I think both of those definite possibilities of the use uh, that Jesus is using. But I don't think that's the main use of why Jesus is saying this. And the reason I say it is because very similar language is used by Jesus in the Gospel of Luke. So you can look at it later, but Luke chapter 14, verses 34 to 35. Now we need to understand the context of the Luke passage I'm about to read. is He's talking of the cost of discipleship. That following Jesus is costly, it's radical, it's difficult, it's going to be a, a challenge, but it's worth it. And because of that, you, you want to be a faithful follower, you want to be a faithful example of what it looks like to follow Jesus. And then listen to what Jesus says. And he's talking about salt. Salt is good, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? Sounds very similar language, right? But the next verse, I think, is the key in helping us understand and unpack. What is he talking about with salt? It is of no use either for the soil or for the manure pile. It is thrown away. He who has ears, let him hear. So these are two new usages of salt that we haven't talked about yet. Number one, it's used for the soil. And we need to understand, they're near, what sea are they near that has a whole lot of sea salt? The Dead Sea. So they're very near there. So there would have been a surplus of sea salt. And what would have been done often with sea salt is it was used as a fertilizer to help grow. There's been even studies done in recent time showing that, that crops will grow at a rapid rate. Uh, they'll grow larger as a result of using uh, sea salt. Even some fertilizers have some uh, sodium co- components in the ingredients. So kind of think of that now. That if you and I, we're, this, we're like fertilizer to the soil. You and I, in that sense, we're this blessing that we help impart what? life and growth and thriving. And I think one of the reasons you and I do that is because we aren't about ourselves, or at least we shouldn't be. Philippians 2.4 says, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but to the interests of others. That's part of the way that you and I are the salt of the earth and we help it thrive. It's because it's not about who. It's not about me. That's what is different, at least should be different about us as Christians, that we're about the betterment of other people, that we want to see other people thrive. We want to see other people succeed. And as Christians, that is so countercultural because that is not how the world thinks. It's all about me. 
So that's one way that we function as a salt. Secondly, if you saw it, it is used for the manure pile. And one particular way salt would have been used as a sanitizer. So once again, they don't have the luxury to go out this door and go into the locker room that's got normal toilets that flush, right? They didn't have that. So they would go outside somewhere and there would be an area that they would use the restroom. And one of the things they would do to help kind of control bacteria and disease and sickness and stuff is guess what they would put on their business after they did their business? Yes, salt. And it would have helped kind of sanitize and, and it would actually help in the breakdown of the, the manure uh, to make it even, once again, helpful for fertilizing. And I think there is a very real sense that you and I function like sanitizer to our culture and our society. We prevent disease and and bacteria, uh, not in a literal sense, but maybe sometimes in the literal sense. But what we do is we we have that impact on on sin, on the direction of of our world. It It does relate a little bit to the even the preservation of meat kind of imagery. It's the idea that we kind of slow back the decay of our culture. And that's the byproduct of us being in the culture, that we have that kind of an impact. So I have to ask, are you, and I'm thinking specifically you individually, are you a blessing to the earth? Are you imparting life? Does your little sphere of influence thrive because you're in the midst of it? At your work, your neighborhood, your school? Is there a difference because you're there? Likewise, are you, are you helping to prevent the bad? Or is there something about you that, that even morality and, and sin, things are different because you are in the midst? And when I'm asking individually, what about us as a church? Are we functioning like that? Is there, is, would our community differ if tomorrow we shut down Covenant Church and parted our ways? Would there be any difference? Would life just go on? Would the YMCA's life just go on and as if nothing changed because we're removed in the midst? So sin is to be, or salt is to be functioning. Secondly, salt is to not be failing. It's not, it should not be failing He says, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? What he's implying is salt must be pure. We need to understand this. Realistically, salt is going to not stop being salt. Like it's, salt is salt. It's it's not going to change its molecular structure per se and, and cease to be salt. That's not the issue he's talking about. So like you and I, when, when we get gas, if you ever paid attention, there's always an auditor sticker when you get gas, and it's, it's doing a couple of things. One, uh, it's, it's verifying that you're getting as much as you say you're getting. They're also constantly in our culture, they're checking to make sure that the gas we get is the gas that we get. So the thing we don't want is to get gas that looks like gas, smells like gas, but has water in it, extra water in it, you know what I mean? Because I, I don't know if you've ever had water in your gas we had with our boat, it like ruined our boat motor because it's not pure gas that we needed, at least to the level that it was supposed to be. So here's what would have happened first century. Merchants, because they're all about making money, they'd have take salt and they would have mixed some salt with sand 
with gravel, with some rocks, and they would sell it as salt. The slicker and the more uh, cost-effective merchant, the salt would be less and less and less salt. So it would give off the appearance of being salt, but all those things that we talked about, taste, it's not going to taste as good. Preservation, not going to preserve stuff as good. It's not going to help the soil as good. It's not going to sanitize as good. And I think that's what Jesus is warning you and I about. That we are losing our salt, not saltiness, not because uh, we, we've changed per se, but we're mixing it too much with non-salt. Isn't that what happens with conformity? With the world? John 17, 14 says the world has hated them because they are not of the world. Just as I am not of the world. God is warning that you and I as Christians, Jesus is saying, don't become like the world because the world isn't salt. And once you allow enough of the world in, you'll cease to be salt. And that's the danger. And that's what we see in the church today. Just a constant conforming to the pattern of this world. Romans 12, 2, do not be conformed to this world. James 4, 4, you adulterous people. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God, that we are created to be different, to stand out. So salt, being salt, means that we will live a life that is not conformed to this world. Have you been conformed to the world? When the world sees you, do they see itself? I mean, is there any difference in your speech? Is there any difference in how you spend your money? Is there any difference in your entertainment? Is there any difference? There's a sense where that's the danger, and that was what was happening. And that's why Jesus is warning them to not lose their saltiness because they were allowing the world to become so much a part of them that they were ceasing to be the salt. But not only does salt must be pure, it must be present. Do you understand that? And this is kind of implied in all of it. For salt to work, it needs to be in contact with what it is. With, right? Think of the flavor element. You make some food. It's very bland. You set the salt shaker on the table and you eat. How helpful was the salt? Hey, does the food taste any more flavor? Nope. But you have salt. Yeah, it's right there. No. What do you have to do with the salt? You got to put it on the food and then instantly it's going to change. And I think that's what we need to realize. If salt is going to have its impact on this world, we need to be present. If salt is not put in the soil, it's not going to help it grow. If salt is not put on the dunghill, it's not going to sanitize. And that's why Jesus could tell them one of his parting words, Acts 1.8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses We could even argue you will be salt in Jerusalem, you will be salt in Judea, you will be salt in Samaria, and you will be salt to the ends of the earth. God's expectation for us is not simply to not conform to the pattern of the world. He's expecting us to be amongst the world. What did Isaiah say? How, how can they hear if they've, they've, they've not been told? That's why, how blessed are the feet that bring good news. 
It's one of the ways I think the church really missed off in the history of church, the monastic community. It was the idea of be pure and holy and kind of be fully devoted to God. And what they did is they withdrew from culture and completely disappeared and went away. And that's not what we're supposed to do. Why are you present in the world? What avenues? Now there is a, and we don't have the time, and this is not the place right now in this moment to, to delve really deeply into this. There is danger that we could be so in the world that we can become conformed to the world and so focused on the world. So that, I don't want us to swing the pendulum to that, and that's what I'm saying. But I think the natural tendency of us as Christians is we're worried about that, so we're over here. We, we are kind of so distant from the world because we don't want to be polluted by the world. Well, friends, as Christians, we need to have some engagement with the world so we can be the salt, so we can impact them. So we see salt is to be functioning, it's not to be failing, and then lastly, be salt that is not futile. It says, he goes on, he warns, and, and this is definitely some language of judgment. It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. In other words, this diluted salt-ish salt is worthless. And what he's telling us is you and I, we need to not be useless to the world. Has anybody cleaned the house recently? And I'm not talking about like daily cleaning, sweeping, dusting, but spring cleaning, but maybe not in the spring. Anybody getting rid of some stuff, going through clothes or whatever? One of the things I'm always amazed in those moments when we do that kind of cleaning is I'll find stuff that's been broken that we've had for years in a box. I mean, I found like broken light bulbs. I'm like, what am I saving this for? Like for three years, these broken light bulbs have been in this box. And I've known they've been there, but I'm like, you never know. Maybe they're going to develop this really good glue that you stick together in the light bulbs because it's so expensive to buy another light bulb. But no, you, what do you do with that? You take it, you kind of, you throw it out. And what Jesus is warning is that's what happens to useless salt that's not really salt. I don't need it. You just, because that's what they would have done. If somebody would have bought from a merchant bad salt and they realized their mistake and they weren't able to go back and return it like we think of in 2023, what they would have done is they would have taken that salt out and they would have threw it out on the ground and it would have been trampled on and walked on and it was, because that's the only real use for it. And that's what Jesus is warning. John 15, 6, if anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and withers and let's the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. Because the truth of the matter, and I think here's what I want us to get to theologically, is a useless Christian might not be a Christian in the first place. And that's why Paul says to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Now, hear me on this, please. Your works do not save you. You being really good functioning salt does not save you. We are saved by grace alone, in Christ alone, through faith alone. Right? Amen? However, and this is the danger, a life that is saltless, a life that has no works, a life that has no fruit, we need to start questioning whether it is life at all. 
That's the danger. In our, in our world today, in the church today, we, we, we water down this gospel that just in a moment, like, hey, you just need to believe in Jesus. You believe in Jesus, boom. And then somebody says, okay, that sounds good. I believe in Jesus. And it's not tied to any real truth. It's not tied to any life change. Friends, that's, that's not the gospel. Remember, salt is salt because it is composite-wise, that's what it is. You and I, we're Christians because that's who God has created us and made us through the transforming power of the Holy Spirit. James 2.18, show me your faith apart from works, and I will show you my faith by my works. Well, how useful are you to the world? Would you be missed, like I said earlier? I, I, I think reality, and this is kind of a little Debbie Downer, but a lot of professing Christians I've known over the years are saltless. They're lightless. They're, they, they've claimed the profession, but like you look at their life, you, you, you see it, you smell it, you taste it, you feel it, and there's no difference. And it's something that should be an eye-opener. It should be awakening to us. So this is real deal. I mean, Jesus is serious when he says this. He's like, no, like you you're, might as well just be thrown on the ground. And trample it on because you're useless. So if we're not to be useless in the world, I think what we do need to be then is united to Christ. Our effectiveness as salt is tied to being salt. We don't strive to be salt. And I want you to hear that. Don't, I'm not telling you you need to be salt in the sense of go home and practice being salt. No, what we do is we strive to walk with Jesus. And as we walk with Jesus, guess what shows off? Our saltiness. James 15, 5, I am the vine, you are the branches, and whoever abides in me, and I in him, it is he that bears much fruit, for apart from me, you can do nothing. And I think we miss this principle, and I think this is, it seems subtle, but I think it's important. Friends, you and I, as followers of Jesus Christ, in this culture, as we're growing and maturing in our faith, we will have a transformation power in the culture. But our aim and our goal is not to transform the culture. And that, I think, is what has been missed by the church today. That we strive so hard to, you know what we need to do is we need to go transform the culture. No, we need to be walking faithfully with Jesus, living our lives in the gospel, preaching the truth. And as we do that, we will have an impact on the culture. Because we can transform the culture as much as you want. If it's devoid of Jesus, it's just this behavior modification. It's not doing lasting change. It's not getting people into heaven. It's doing nothing. So we need to focus on that. And that's what Jesus is speaking of here when he speaks of us being salt. Being who God has created us to be. Well, are you walking with Christ? Are you growing in Christ? Are you seeing Christ in you? So that's the first metaphor, salt of the earth, functional, not failing, not futile. Let's now look at the light of the world. Once again, another real life example. This is pre-electricity, something that they very much can identify and relate with. First of all, being the light of the world, this ministry is public. He says, you are the light of the world, a city on a hill cannot be hidden. You hear what he's saying? It means that you and I, our faith, by the very nature of faith, it is going to be visible. It's going to be visible. It's going to stand out. It's going to be a, a, a mile marker. 
So if you're, you're, let's say you're driving from Finley, coming up, you've never been up to Perrysburg, we're having you come, and let's say you don't have your smartphone telling you everything to do, so it's old school, we have to give directions, and you're driving up 75, I think one way that would be very helpful to let them know where they turn and switch off of 75 is there is a gigantic what to the right over there. Mosque. It, is a, it stands out, right? It is, it is very clear. What Jesus is saying here is that we are a city on a hill. Imagine you're traveling off in the distance, and on top of this large hill region, there is a city. Is that hard to hide? No, you're going to see it. So there is that sense, there's a public nature. Remember first century baptism, when they were baptized, it was typically done not at the Rikos Pond, right? It would have been down at the Maumee River in the midst of the marketplace. And people would have seen it, and it would have been public in nature, identifying you with Christ. What was the problem with Peter the night of Jesus' betrayal? They could see him, and they said, you're with that guy, aren't you? We stand out. Ephesians 2.10 says, We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So friends, as the light of the world, first part of that, it means that our faith is visible. How visible is your faith? Can people see it? Because on the flip side of that, if you're supposed to be visible, you're supposed to not be hidden. I mean, does that sometimes happen? Does I remember there was a story, a guy was married to two different women across town. It was a large city. Had two separate families. Two different identities. Completely had no idea. I mean, we see this, what, spies, like spy movies. We see it with undercover detective work where you you think somebody's, they're not. And what Jesus is saying, that should never be the case as a Christian. We don't hide our faith. We don't, we don't, we're not closet Christians that like, oh, I had no idea. I'll always remember, I worked with a gentleman when I worked at the UPS, and I was years into my relationship with him when he told me he not only was a Christian, but he actually helped lead worship at a church, and I was floored, because he is everything that I did not anticipate a professing Christian would be in the workplace. His faith was so hidden. He was not a city on a hill. He was a city hidden behind a bunch of trees, kind of be. And that's what he's saying. Don't, that shouldn't be the case. Thessalonians, they got it. Listen to the Thessalonians. And wouldn't this be awesome if this was indicative of you and I or even Covenant Church? For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. That they had lived the gospel out in such a real, profound way that it was clear the Thessalonians, they're Christians. Can they say that about covenant? Can they say that about you and I? Because that's what he's saying here is our faith should not be hidden. We're ambassadors of Christ. That is a very public nature role. We don't hide from the world. We don't hide our faith. We're to be bold. We're to be courageous. In the book of Acts, it says, if, if we don't say something, what will happen? The rocks will cry out. Well, let's be honest. 
How often do you try to hide your faith? I mean, nobody's going to raise their hand and say, I, all the time. But is there some hesitation? Because when we're visible, it puts us in the crosshairs of the world. It puts us in the crosshairs. I mean, there's, there's a part of me in my own neuroticness that sometimes I don't love the idea of streaming the sermons online. Because I might say something that might offend, and next thing you know, it's trending, and then I've got to deal with this, like, backlash. That's unavoidable. If we're going to be faithful with the gospel, if we're going to stand true with truth, be ready. The world hated him. They're going to hate me. So it's very public in nature. Secondly, the ministry is purposeful. He goes on and says, Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand and give light to all in the house. So you see this, that one of the the purposes of you and I as light is for us to shine, right? For to shine the right way to live. It's the right usage of of light. I mean, we we sometimes we'll use an an equipment or a product or something. I mean, I remember driving by this very... um, how can I say this politely? Like a junkie yard. We'll say what it is. It had a car. It had three wheels. And then it was using an engine and the fourth wheel space to prop it up. Probably not the best use of the engine. I mean, it was creative. It looked different. What we are as light is we shine, right? Isn't that what lights do? Think of a candle under a basket. What happens if you cover a candle. The light goes out. Psalm 119, 105, it says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. To my path. So as light, we show the way to go. We guide, we direct. I mean, how many times have you walked through your bedroom at night with the lights off and tripped over stuff? All the time, right? Especially if my wife's asleep earlier than me, like it'll be the wake up for her. And she's like, what are you doing? That could be on repeat. And I'm like, I'm walking. It's like, well, why are you kicking stuff? I was like, because stuff's in the way. And the lights are off, and I can't see at night. I don't have night vision. And that's what he's saying, though. That you and I, we live in this world of darkness, and we are light. We have light, and we get to shine in the darkness so that the world can see how rightly to live. That's the blessing of us. Well, is your light shining? Are you pointing in this darkness of how to live? But not only the right way to live, it's also the wrong way to live. That light shows what is wrong. Show, light has like almost a, an, an x-ray kind of power to it. What happens with an x-ray? You get to see what's beneath the surface. What do you get to see in light? You get to see what is wrong. You might go into a room and it looks fine. All of a sudden you put the flashlight on and you see that the foundation is about to crumble. Like that's what we do as Christians. As we shine the light, it shows what is wrong. It's part of the reason the world hates us because we expose their darkness. Why the world hates us is because we show what they think, what they say, what they do is not in line with God's word and that offends them because they know they're wrong. It's why the righteousness of, of God's people is an aroma of death to others. John, 18, or John 8, 12 says, I am the light of the world. 
Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So one of the ways that you and I, remember, Jesus never said he is the salt of the earth. We're the salt of the earth. But he does say he is the light of the world, and we get to be the light as we follow after him and show people how not to live. Well, are you acting like light in this world? Are you showing the right way to live? Are you showing the wrong way? Are you exposing the darkness? Once again, why it's so closely tied to persecution. Because the moment you speak truth into this world of darkness, it's going to be liberating and, and well-received by some, and it is going to be hated and despised by others. So ministry is public, ministry is purposeful, and then lastly, ministry is praise-producing. He says, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. First of all, people are watching. People are watching. Who here is a people watcher? You go out in public, your wife's in the store, you're sitting out at the, who likes to watch a people? How many sermon illustrations have come from my life of people watching? It's just like, hey, I laugh. I'm like, thank you, Jesus. Just a walking sermon illustration dealing with humans. Yeah, it's what we do. Well, friends, people are watching you in your faith. Coworkers are watching you. Neighbors are watching you. And I think sometimes we don't listen to that. We, we say, we're like, I know. No, but I'm talking about all aspects of you. You know what's powerful? A Christian making a mistake and how you deal with that mistake. I think we think of the watching and what needs to happen as you and I are perfect. I got to be this perfect robot, never say anything wrong, never do anything wrong. And, and that's what they need to see. No, they need to see a real sinner saved by grace. That you can say, hey, I really messed up today at work. I'm sorry. Those kind of things. Even uh, like how you deal with trauma, how you deal with trials, with tribulation. Like my mom, we talked about it. I don't want to talk too much because I know 100% I'll cry. But she has breast cancer and she works at an oral surgeon. So she works with a lot of women and they know of her faith. So like even how she is interacting with that. And, and sharing her trust in Christ, but also, you know, acknowledging her fear and anxiety. That is light. Do you understand that? That's how we're supposed to live. We don't, once again, we live in the world, so we're around them, but then we, we're real. We're vulnerable. We're transparent. We're not perfect people. We fear. We worry. We make mistakes. We say things we shouldn't do. It shouldn't have said we do things like that. And that's what he's saying here. He's reminding them people are watching you. You might be the gospel the only gospel somebody ever sees. Or are you mindful of that in how you live your life? What example are they seeing? Are you living a life worthy of the calling? But not only are people watching, people are to end up worshiping, not you, but God. Listen to what he says. So that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Do you see the steps? We live out the life. We are the light. We shine. People see it. And they end up praising God for your testimony and turning to Christ. Isn't that awesome? 
to think about that God would use us in such a remarkable way. 1 Timothy 4.16, keep a close watch on your life and on the doctrine. Persist in this, for by doing so, you will save both yourself and your hearers. And what Paul is saying to Timothy is, it's not just about what you teach, it's how you live. And as those things are compatible, your witness, your testimony will have such a powerful influence, other people will come to faith in Jesus through your life. Or are you thinking about that? Is that an aim in your life to draw people to Christ, to be the living example of Jesus? Paul says, I will do all things for all people so that I might win some. Think of that. Think of how often we live our lives in such a self-absorbed, me-first mentality that we don't think twice about our unbelieving neighbor. We don't think twice about our coworker that is condemned right now and is destined for hell apart from God's saving grace. We don't think about family members. We don't think about friends. We think about our own little agenda. We have that very much tunnel vision. And what Jesus is saying for you and I is light. You need to take the the blinders off. You need to think big picture. God has you here for a reason, and it's a whole lot more than hitting retirement and spending lots of time with your grandchildren and traveling around the world. That is not why God created you. He created you to be the salt. He created you to be the light. He created you to make a difference. Now, in the midst of those, you might hit retirement and get to spend time with your grandchildren and have a good life like that and praise the Lord, but that's not the end all and be all. The end all and be all, whether you never get those things, whether you never have grandchildren, whether you never get married, whether you never hit retirement, whether you work until the day you die, the end all and be all is that God has created you to be the light in this world of darkness so that people might come to know Jesus through you and spend eternity in heaven with him. Well, can others see good works in your life? Are they giving glory to God? Are you an instrument of faith? For him. I, I think if we're really being real with each other, uh, this culture, this society is exhausting. I mean, I, like, part of me wants to never read the news. Part of me never wants to uh, follow social media or anything because I just, I, at the end of the day, I'm usually angry. Like, why are you so angry? Because I read the news. But then by, by distancing myself, then I'm clueless. And then somebody will be talking to me like, hey, did you hear about, and it was something really profound. Serious, like, oh, no idea. So like, I'm kind of stuck with, I got to read this stuff. But I think as I read those things, I'll look at situations sometimes, and I will question God's goodness. I'll kind of shake my fist. I, it reminds me of a song by Matthew West. He says, I woke up this morning, saw a world full of trouble now, Thought, how did we ever get so far down? How's it ever going to turn around? So I turned my eyes to heaven. I thought, God, why don't you do something? I mean, how many times have you thought that? Let's be candid. You kind of looked and like, God, what, why, why are you allowing this to happen? Why don't you do something? He said, I couldn't hear the thought of people living in poverty, Christians sold into slavery. The thought disgusted me. So I shook my head once again at heaven, my fists. And said, God, why don't you do something? And he said, I did. I created you. Think about that. He created you. 
You are the do something. Do you understand that? If not us, then who not, if not, uh, if not me and you right now, it's time for us to do something. He goes on to say, I'm tired of, of talking about how we are God's hands and feet, but it's easy to say, then live like angels of apathy. It's all right to say somebody else will do something. And he goes on and guess what, guess what passage he quotes? The passage we spent today. We are the salt of the earth. We are a city on a hill. We're never going to change the world by standing still. No, we won't stand still. And I think context-wise, I think application for you and I is we are in this world not, not by an unnecessary reason. That God has a divine reason, a divine plan and purpose. I think twofold application as we wrap up our time. One, I think we need to live deliberately. God created us with purpose, with mission. We're necessary. We are vital to the well-being of our society. We are his instruments. We're his hands, his feet. We matter. We're important. Do something for Christ. I want to challenge uh, college age and high schoolers. Think of this when you're making your college choices. I'm not saying that means you have to go to a Christian school or that, but think big picture. What are you going to do with your life? How are you going to impact the kingdom? Now, it might mean being a teacher, being an engineer, being a doctor, being a lawyer, being a whatever, or it might mean going on the mission field to serve Christ. But that should be part of your decision-making. Adults who are in careers right now and even in the midst of thinking about career changes This should be a major question for you as you make those decisions. How can I live deliberately for Jesus? And then second application, to live dependently. I think today's passage should be overwhelming if we read it as something that you and I have to do. And I, as I spent a whole week focusing in on them being salt and being light, I felt how saltless I am and how much little light I shine. And it was this overwhelming, and there's this guilt and shame and this burden. And what I, I want us to see is that for this to happen in your life, Jesus has to be doing it in and through you. We're salt because he made us salt. We're light because his light is shining in us. So for our help to be salt... For help to be light, he has to do it. So be dependent upon him. But understand this, as we are dependent upon him, we are more than useless. Let's pray. God, we come before you right now. We acknowledge uh, just how uh, difficult it is to be salt in this world, how challenging it is to be light in this world. So God, in this moment, we confess our inadequacies. We confess how self-absorbed we can be and how often we are not the salt that you have called us to be. So forgive us. But we thank you that in Christ, not only do we have forgiveness, there's a new creation that you change us, that you work in and through us. So we are excited about the possibility. We are excited about the potential of how we can be an impact on the society as we function as the salt and the light that you have called us to be. So we pray that we would do that, we would do it well, that you would uh, work in and through us, and at the end of the day, people would see our good works and give you the praise and glory, and that others would draw close to Christ as a result.
We pray in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Please stand as we respond.